So I'm Kelly Kent from ServiceNow and definitely want to thank you all for being here. Um, I am uh, was previously Chief Transformation Officer. I did that job for about two years, which basically means that I spent my time with customers. Um, and before that, I implemented ServiceNow's HRSD, Human Resources Service Delivery, at Lowe's Home Improvement. So implemented uh, a portal and service management, shared services for 330,000 people. That was fun. Um, and then prior to that, I led large-scale transformations at Bank of America and at, Lo and at um, UPS. So I've been working for a very long time. I'm a little tired, <laughs> um, <laughs> but very happy to be here and appreciate you guys joining us today. But I am thrilled, the star of the show, to have with me today, my new friend, Kim. I'm going to let Kim introduce herself. Um, has an amazing background in the HR space and beyond, quite frankly, um, mom to two boys, which I always find fascinating. I have one daughter. Anybody have boys in the room? I just can't imagine raising boys, but my goodness, how much fun. They're fun. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Kim, thank you for joining us. And if you don't mind, just take us through your, your background and kind of what you're doing these days. Sure. Good afternoon, everyone. I am uh, Dr. Kimberly Steed. I'm the Associate Deputy Assistant Secretary for Human Capital with the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, I've recently joined HHS. Uh, maybe in the last eight months from the Department of Treasury, where I was responsible for strategic planning, uh, program evaluation, and a few other um, employee-driven strategic programs. Uh, prior to uh, working in the federal service, I also spent some time in private sector um, as a recruiter for both technical and manufacturing environments. And then prior to that, I was in the military for eight years. I spent the majority of that time doing uh, military personnel and a short stint doing protocol, which is a fancy word for events planning. I love it. Anybody else use the word protocol? Events planning. I love it. That, that's the old HR, right? Yes. Events planning, party planning, we called it in the, in the, in the, in the private sector. Definitely. Well, we are thrilled that you're here. We're going to talk a little bit about this topic of skills and the skills gold rush. Like, what does that mean today? And how are we going to be able to mine this workforce that we have in federal and, quite frankly, around the globe, where today, Kim and I were talking earlier, boy, the uh, the employees have just put themselves in the driver's seat coming out of COVID, haven't they? Are you guys seeing that in your own organizations where they're a little bolder about the demands they're making, the expectations that they have from you as an employer? Sound familiar? Uh, so what are you going to do about it, right? How are we going to make sure that we're taking advantage of the talent that we have? And uh, Kim's going to share some of the uh, the insights that she has and, and where she's thinking about taking her organization, which I'm super excited about. So Kim, I'm going to start off and, and talk to you a little bit about um, this whole move to skills-based talent management. So you mentioned hiring. You did hiring before. Um, you know, career pathing, I think about internal mobility, people come to a company and they want to move around and have the opportunity to grow their career. Um, and, and frankly, just getting work done, productivity, how can we make sure that we're managing our workforce in a way that is most productive? Um, what do you think is going to be the most challenging for the public sector making this shift into more of a skills-based talent management philosophy? Sure. Thank you. I think uh, for me, what I see as the most challenging is career pathing hmm. because you need to balance uh, having an employee understand where they can go with their career while meeting the mission and also identifying 
and capitalizing on hidden skills, which I think is something that, at least in the federal sector, we don't do a great job of identifying hidden skills and then using those skills uh, when we need them. And so I'll give you a quick example. Um, at a prior department I worked at, we did a competency assessment and my manager talked to me about the results and I had assessed myself on competencies that I didn't currently use in that job. Mm -hmm. And so he took them down to zero. And oh, wow. I thought to myself, <laughs> well, I still have the skills just because I'm not using them in this job. It doesn't mean that I can't do it at some other time. So in other words, if he hadn't seen them, you don't have them, right? Yes. Okay. And that's okay. exactly what he that's said. That's never happened to any of us, right? Yeah. That is exactly what he said. Well, I haven't seen you demonstrate those skills, so I don't know that you have them. And I'm thinking to myself, well, it's on my resume, <laughs> but okay. And so I just think that as we look at employees and how to best um, support them, we need to understand the the whole employee and everything that they bring to the table. There's a ton of skills that we get um, outside of the workforce that can be applicable on the job in unique circumstances. Like I said earlier, I spent three years doing events planning. It has nothing to do with what I do today, but it's still a skill that I can call on when I need to. And so having employees understand not only what they can do within your organization, but what they can do across the federal space is another avenue that I think as the federal government, we really need to look at because skills, it's not necessarily a bad thing when an employee goes to another federal agency, you need that exposure to make you more well-rounded and to really understand how the government runs. And so helping employees understand that they can go to other agencies and that skills are transferable into um, other careers based on the competencies, I think really helps employees envision a full career uh, in the government. And, and when you think about the fact that an employee can envision a full career in the government, meaning that there's a lot of things they can do over the course of their 30 plus years that they want to work in government, what does that look like? So when, you, when we get to this place of being able to do skills-based management, what's the impact going to be? I think the impact will be great for the government because it will allow us to keep employees within the federal space as opposed to them leaving for experiences that they don't feel that they can get within the federal environment. Yeah. And it'll just make the government stronger. Overall. Any any of you guys dealing with that? Your people feel like they need to leave to go get experience elsewhere in the in the private sector? Why is that? Anybody want to share what you're seeing in your own company? career coach. They're telling me they're pursuing their interests. Pursuing their interests. So they can't pursue their interests inside the government? Sure they can, right? Sometimes the interest <laughs> is not just pursuing yep. but pursuing experience. I totally agree with you. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Um, we're on legacy technology. Yep. And they want to leave to learn the new stuff because we're not there. Yeah. So we got to get there quicker in some cases, right? To Kim's point, got to make it attractive. Full disclosure, my daughter is in the Air Force, um, you know, and she'll be coming up on her commitment pretty soon in a couple of years. You know, I don't know what she'll do. Will she? Will the government be attractive to her, right? Will she want to stay and continue to serve or will she think that she has to go to private sector to do the, you know, the cool things or get the experience that she's looking for? You know, the good news is with what Kim's talking about, if we can paint a picture for people like my daughter, right, who today is a pilot, that's not who she is. Her hidden skills are much broader than being a pilot, right? 
you've got kids that come up, uh, you know, through the ranks and have a lot of experience doing other things. And, you know, they look around and say, I don't see anybody doing what I think I want to do. That's probably just because they haven't had exposure to it. Like your boss hadn't had exposure to your skills previously, right? Yes. It's so interesting. I can remember, um, you know, being at, I was at Bank of America for a long time in my career. And I can remember having conversations, people moved around a lot, right? And, and I thought it was wonderful. But it was interesting because when you were looking for somebody specifically for a project or a job, you know, you talked to your peers and said, hey, this is the profile of the person I'm looking for. And this is what we're talking about, right? But if I couldn't go have that conversation voice to voice, there were no systems that gave me information to go find Kim, who had done event planning. What'd you call it? Protocol. Protocol. Sorry. I'm going to have to remember that. I would never know Kim had protocol in her background if that's what I was looking for, if she hadn't done it while I was watching, right? So that's what we're talking about. I love that example, definitely. And, and thinking about hidden skills. I mean, think about what are the, you know, what are the opportunities we have to open, you know, to bust open the door on hidden skills and let people bring their entire self to work in a way that gives us both benefit, the employee and the employer, right? So, Kim, over the last five years, there has been, according to what I'm being told, a lot of turnover. And I don't think that's just in the public sector. Definitely, it's in the private sector as well. Um, and, and certainly, you guys mentioned it, maybe a loss of key talent to the private sector from the public sector. Um, think about your experience as a leader. What is driving this, in your opinion? <sighs> that's a loaded question. It's a loaded question. question. I'd love to get others' answers, too, right? So I think these insights are important, right? To tell us if we're going to be able to address the problem, we got to get to the root cause, right? Yeah, I think federal employees are tired. You know, they're <laughs> uh, consistently under-resourced. They're tired of doing more with less. And oftentimes working in federal government can be seen as a thankless job. Mm -hmm. It's an easy target. And so it drives a lot of um, desire to leave. Mm -hmm. And we haven't done a good job of attracting early career talent. And so we're not poised to deal with um, the retirements and the departures that yeah. we see. And so I think it's just an unfortunate uh, set of events that have led us to what we've seen in the last few years in terms of departures from the government. You know, it's interesting too, when I think about the private sector, I hear so much about what does a company stand for, right? And we've heard this over the last five or six years in particular with all the things that happened prior to COVID and companies were willing to take a stand like this is what we're all about. This is what we stand for. It had nothing to do with their business model. It was all about trying to attract people into their organization or retain the people that they had. When I think about what the public sector does, I mean, you guys have some of the most noble missions in the world, Right. But we don't hear about the the agencies in that way sometimes. So I yes. think to your point, you know, how do we think about that differently to maybe think about stemming that tide of of turnover? Any other thoughts from you guys on what's driving turnover? Is getting clear leadership to be leaders that are not afraid to embrace turnover. Okay, so can you guys hear in the back? How about leaders who are willing to embrace transformation? Does that sound familiar? Can I get a hand clap for that? Anybody want to see that? <laughs> Thank you for that. What about anybody else? Yep. You know, if you look at the statistics, 
we don't do a bad job of bringing in young talent. Yep. We do a very bad job of keeping. Okay. And I think that's back to what she was saying. So I think there's the, to your point about people coming in and standing for something, the federal government's mission is very noble. And yep. most every department can stand on something that they do to benefit the American public. I think the, the, the real stress is around the, of how quickly something can be done. Sure. You walk in the door and they say, I want to make a difference. It's like, your chance. <laughs> Give us about 18 months. And they're like, no, I'm going to do it today. And, and there's a, a certain level of frustration. And then yeah. they walk out the door. And it's not that, 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 that they're welcome. It is the fact that we can't get out of our own way sometimes. So I think along with this transformation is the re-envisioning of the way we do business and our processes. So we can be more uh, agile in that, in the business yep. agility. That's going to keep some of this young talent because we, we do attract them. They just don't stick around. I think the average uh, from a 20 to 26 year old, maybe two years, wow, maybe two and a half, and then they're gone. Not because it isn't, you know, the pay benefits, all that's good. Mm-hmm. It's just that there's a frustration. No boomerang effect. They don't come back when they go to corporate and figure out that it's the same. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. I thought I saw, saw another hand. Anybody else want to talk about? Yeah, in the back. Work-life balance. Work-life balance. Yeah, watch what they think they're seeing because the private sector is that pendulum is definitely shifting. So it's really interesting because, you know, you you have this concept, you, you know, you hear your whole life about the grass is always greener. Um, but I do think some of this is exactly what Kim is saying. Like, how do we get this, um, you know, in a in a place where people see us differently, right? See the opportunities differently. We see the people differently, um, which is really what we're talking about when we think about skills based. Anything else on turnover? Anybody wants to add? Yeah. So, have you been able to use ServiceNow as a platform to try and capture data on these? How have you been able to? It's so like. <laughs> How is ServiceNow as a platform helping solving problems? Because I think all of us can sit here and talk about our experience with yep. these problems. Like we all had them and we've all seen them. And we all want, we're all so motivated to make progress <laughs> on them. I was wondering if you had any experience or um, not yet on the skill side, but we are entering into the four-way of using ServiceNow to help with the onboarding experience to make it more user-friendly for. Um, new employees when they come onto the agency and actually extending the onboarding experience past, you know, like the first month so that they um, acculturate into HHS uh, better and more and have a a true picture of everything that HHS has to offer. You know, HHS has over 90,000 people. We have eight different unique missions within HHS. And so, Helping employees understand while you may be working at CDC right now, you could also have a career at NIH, you could also have a career at FDA. And so allowing them to see the family of HHS and not just the office that they're in at the moment. And I I think that's a big part of what we're hearing from companies today at ServiceNow is what can we do, right? I, I was telling Kim, I can remember at Bank of America at least 20 years ago, I had to fill out a skills assessment. Anybody else fill out a skills assessment here? Literally, the one I did was like the bubbles, like on the SAT. Like, seriously, who's going to do something with that? Took me forever. It was, I mean, it had to have been 50 pages long. I don't know. 
but I never felt like anybody took that information and, and helped me get my next assignment with that. To Kim's point, if my manager hadn't seen me do those things, they weren't thinking about me in those areas. So ServiceNow is on the cusp of coming out with a, with a product that will do just that. Take skills um, and, and skills inventory and map them to the needs of the organization. So we are getting asked this by every company we talk to, starting in the C-suite to say, what do we need to do to transition to the next phase of work, the next way of working, the next, you know, partially remote workforce, the next, you know, uh, gen whatever that's coming up? How do we attract and retain early in career? Um, and it's interesting because the whole concept is just because you have a job today with, with these 10 skills that are required doesn't mean that that's the job you'll have next. And it'll probably have a different 10 skills that are required. So how can I get information about you as an employee? not only what you bring to the table, but also what training I provide to you that also gives you skills. How can I take that information and automate that? I get something assigned to me. Kim gives me some training that I have to take this HR, maybe as a recruiter, you know, what are the skills inherent in that training that I can add to my resume, if you will, not my job experience resume, not my timeline resume, but my skills resume. Um, and so what we're being asked by CEOs is, help me go from A to B. These are the skills I needed yesterday. These are the skills I'm going to need tomorrow. So even if you think about how do we accelerate the pace of work getting done, you know, any of you using citizen development on your ServiceNow platform, that's accelerating the pace of work getting done. Like you're putting work at the front line. Now you governance around it. I get it. You have to do that. But I can tell you, I had a friend of mine um, whose son grew up with my daughter and he looked at me, he was working at Lowe's when I was there. And he said, Miss Kelly, why is it so hard to do work at work? Yeah. I'm like, it's a great question. He said, I literally take information from a spreadsheet. I copy and paste it into a system. It does something over there. I take the answer and I copy and paste it back into the spreadsheet. He said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever done. How long do you think he stayed at Lowe's? About a year. He's on to his next job. By the way, he's on his third job since then graduated from college five years ago. This is what we're talking about, right? So Kim, if you think about taking the question about skills assessment, being able to apply it to turnover, being able to apply it to the future of the organization, what's the impact you're looking for? Huh. Having an employee understand not only the skills that they need for their current job, but the skills that they need for their future job and understanding that, um, those skills can transfer into other types of careers, yeah. I think is the, the thing that employees want to know the most about. I might have a set of skills that I use in HR, but I could also use those skills perhaps in budget or um, in policy development. And so it really is just taking a, a competency or skills-based approach to, um, to the way we do work. And so, and mapping it across, you know, the entire employee life cycle so that those skills are clear in the recruitment and attracting phase of the process, as well as the performance management and the development of employees so that you're talking about the same things throughout the employee life cycle so that employees really understand um, what's needed on the job, yep. but then also balancing the development and growth of that employee with what they need for the job and where they see themselves in the future. So being able to like 
some were talking in the audience, know what might be ahead of me for a career. Like I can look two or three steps ahead and say, here's something I want to aspire to, or here's some things that I may want to do in the future. When you think about where technology is going with that, that's exactly what we were talking about. And one of the things that, um, you know, that we're doing with the platform currently is taking that skills intelligence and really putting it into a couple of different categories. Um, one would be functional. If you think about kind of role-based developments, that's what Kim was saying. What, what job am I in now? What training do I need? What skills do I should I bring? And what skills do I have a gap in that I can easily close? And then the second one is more around kind of the power skills, leadership skills, management skills. It's really preparing the, the leaders for the future and giving them the ability to prepare their people. And then the last one I would say is leadership itself. So you think about now that I've learned how to be a manager, now I'm going to step into a role of leading at the company level, more about strategy, more about where we're taking the organization. So how do I optimize the workforce? How do I make sure that I understand big picture, the skills that we have on, on, on campus, if you will, today and the skills that we need to have for tomorrow and imagine if you could take all that skills information, have it in a dashboard, right? Here's what my company needs today. Here's the people that are upskillable, right? Kim's had this kind of work before or similar work. It would be a small step to move her to the next level of skill. What about people that are already ready to be promoted because they've done this in other jobs or they've exhibited this skill in other jobs? Take a chance, right? Maybe maybe do a... Um, a skip level and and give them an opportunity to have a stretch assignment uh, for a change. But if you don't have that data, if you don't understand what the job requires for the next move and what the person brings to the table, it's hard to make that match. Um, it's almost like a match.com for skills, if you will. It is. But I would also say managers have a huge role in that. They have to be willing to accept that the person might not have 100% of everything that they need. And it's okay if they have 85% or even sometimes 70%, because no one person is oftentimes going to come to the table with everything that you need. And managers are always looking for that one unicorn that doesn't exist. Yep. Very true. We keep looking though, don't we? We do. <laughs> so if you think about some of the key talent practices that you and your teams are starting to experiment with. What Can you share some of those with us? I'm sure. I would say uh, we're really looking at building early career talent, attracting and retaining people that we can grow within yep. HHS and across HHS, and really putting in the support, not only on a, a skills base, but looking at the employees from a, a whole person perspective in the sense that we're strengthening resilience programs that we have. We're putting in frameworks to address mental health and recovery so that people understand that we see them as more than just uh, getting X thing done for us by X date. And so uh, I've found that in talking to some of the younger staff that we have at HHS, that they are really looking for opportunities to do different things similar to what uh, the gentleman in the in the audience said earlier, you know, they want to go on details and try things out. And so we're putting together detail programs and things like that. Um, so, you your know, question put, yeah, and putting people into a job doesn't have to be so risky, right? Yes. Um, kind of the try before you buy, right? Give exactly. them those rotational assignments, yes. maybe. Uh, we were talking about um, new things that you're experimenting with. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so those are some of the things that we're looking at in terms of direct impact on employees. But as an organization, we're really looking at focusing on our culture.
um, support employees through their environment of hybrid work, not only for employees, but also the tools and resources that managers need uh, to support employees in this hybrid environment, as well as senior leadership. Like, what are the the things that senior leaders need to do in order to um, set a culture where working in Kansas is the same as working in D.C.? I think we learned a lot through COVID, right? And I think it was interesting to me because when when we did kind of go to our corners, right, and everybody went home, I don't think a lot of us thought about the need to upskill around collaboration. Did any of you do upskilling around collaboration? Because all of a sudden you went from maybe people being 100% in the office to people being 100% remote or some mix in between. What did you do to, to get ready for that? Did you guys do anything interesting? Well, I wasn't at HHS yeah. when COVID first kicked off, but I will say it uh, at my prior agency, at least in my office, we were very intentional about uh, meeting virtually through Zoom and WebEx and having meetings where we focused solely on work and then having meetings where it was just casual water talk. We either played virtual bingo or talked about a book or a movie just to connect in the same ways that you would in the office when you're walking around the block just uh, getting to know your colleagues so that every meeting on Zoom wasn't focused on, well, where are you with this project? Yep. I think it's interesting because even that we, I think some of us took for granted that all managers would know to do that, right? Have those meetings that were intentionally team building meetings and, you know, not just the grind of getting work done every day. Anybody else have other thoughts on upskilling opportunities that they took advantage of early on in COVID? And I'm using this example intentionally right now, right? Because what it made us do was think about it. And so my question to you would be, why aren't you thinking about it now, right? Because I don't think, I think we've got to not have that impetus of something like COVID and something as drastic as going from fully in the office to fully remote to make us think about skills. And so Kim said a lot of things in there, you know, we, we went to Zoom meetings and we did some Zoom meetings that were, you know, uh, less business focused and more team building. Those are all intentional ways of building skills and, and intentional ways of driving expectations. Um, and in some cases, we just did it and some people did better than others. Any of you work for managers that didn't do those fun team building? Yeah, a couple of us did. Let's be honest, right? Every time you got on a Zoom, it was like, holy cow, I don't think I could stand another 20 minutes of this, right? Um, and then so you heard you heard your friends talking about, oh, yeah, we had a wine and cheese party over Zoom. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, who, who are you working for? Um, so, but I think those are manager skills, right? Those are things about the culture that you want to drive through those expectations. Yeah. You mentioned onboarding earlier. You know, that is part of the skills gold rush. Like, how do you make sure when somebody enters your organization, they feel good about how they get work done, right? It's not just about how telling them how to sign up for their benefits. It's not just about telling them how to find their way to the parking garage, right? It's about how to get work done. I think we've kind of lost our way, um, you know, in making sure that we're being very um, maniacal and very intentional about skills, definitely. So I love hearing your ideas. Are there any anybody else experimenting with ideas around skills and uh, skill mapping and skills assessments? Not necessarily skills mapping. When you talk about upskilling and talking about what skills do I need today versus tomorrow, I think we have to do a better job at pushing our employees to meet what we're going to do tomorrow. Yeah. Our uh, where we work at, we started implementing service now. 
And because I was a data scientist and a computer scientist before, I didn't necessarily work in service now, but I have a knack for picking up applications and building. You have a skill. That's called a skill. Yeah, so I didn't know service. If I can get smart on service now, let's take some of the free training. Let me see if my boss will pay for some training for me to become good at service now. And I got so well that I became a service now technical lead, even though that wasn't my skill set before. Right. You know, so as a, so, just knowing that I had that skill set, oh, she had the knack for catching on to learning software or building platforms or doing web apps. Let's see if she can learn this so she can be yep. an asset to the company and a, like a liaison between our contractors who have to do it and teaching us how to do it as well. And, so and, that's a way to like kind of incorporate that service now experience. Even with younger people, cause a lot of us make make code for fun. So so not to do a hundred percent plug for ServiceNow, but remember my friend's son I was telling you about that worked at Lowe's for about a year? I didn't tell you the rest of the story. I told him to go on the ServiceNow website and learn how to create an app. And I said, take that Excel spreadsheet and that system that you have to go back and forth in and just create an app, take it in and show your boss, but don't you dare tell her where it came from. <laughs> and he did. He literally learned over a weekend how to create an app on the ServiceNow platform, took it into his boss and guess what? They adopted it. I mean, nobody asked him to do it, right? Are you creating that culture where skills matter? Are you creating that culture where people have the opportunity to demonstrate their, you know, their own interest in doing something more, doing something, uh, you know, different than what they were doing today. That's a critical part of it, whether it's citizen development or temporary assignments or, you know, any other way that you can figure out how to bring out the best in that person is going to continue to be attractive for them. And I mean, I can remember doing that, you know, 40 years ago when I first started working, I went after the things I loved to do. And, and probably the best advice I ever got from somebody was to say, there's three things that you need to think about whenever you're thinking about going to work somewhere. What do you love to do? What are you great at? And what does the company need? And it's where those three things intersect that the magic happens. And that's what we're talking about with skills, right? Whether they're skills for today or skills for the future, what are you great at? Top 10%. Nobody's better than me, right? I'm in the, I'm the best of the best here. You love doing it and the company needs it. It doesn't get any better than that, right? So Kim, last question for you. And this is this is kind of a, a little bit of a trick question because we've talked a lot about a lot of this already. But do you have the right people, process, and technologies to enable new practices and new protocols for the skills-based management capabilities that we all need to develop? What do you need? What's it going to take? resources yep. <laughs> first and foremost <laughs> yeah. um, and a commitment from leadership to to do it because that's a hard um, ship to turn and so just getting uh, using a lot of change management to get people on board to see the vision buy into the vision and then work collectively towards that vision is um, kind of the perfect storm yeah and I think on top of that what I would say is do you have the data to prove it? Right. So if you're going to make this investment in skills and you're going to say that it's going to, you know, show a decline in turnover or ability to attract earlier in career and keep them longer, like 
what are those North stars that you're really shooting for that doing something around this area is going to really make a difference. You got to stake yourself out in those areas, right? And believe that being able to define where these skills are going, what people need to be able to do and giving them the tools to do it, whether it's becoming a citizen developer over the weekend or whatever they're passionate about, you know, being able to measure it is going to matter. Yes. Um, And I think taking a risk-based approach to mitigating a lot of the things that we see in employee data will help um, inform what we do to kind of get to where we're going. But uh, the other thing that I see that's really missing across government, not necessarily tied to a system, is the ability to forecast. Yep. And so, and really using the data and multiple pieces of data to tell a, a richer story. story. Yep. Yeah. I, great. I often find that managers and some leaders will glean onto one piece of data and they take that one piece of information and they use it for all the decisions that they make. But oftentimes when you bring convergent data sets together, it's a completely different story. And so just getting people comfortable with understanding the root cause behind what data is telling you is key. And so just having that infrastructure in place where you have an organization, one where people trust the data is is key. Very good. Well, Kim, thank you for sharing that. I want to encourage you all to think about the skills-based management practices that we've been talking about. I do think they're the way of the future. They're yep. All the people that are in our organizations and commercial here to talk to your ServiceNow account executive about skills-based um, uh, capabilities that we have coming soon. So super excited. Kim, thank you so much. Oh, my Appreciate pleasure. It. Thank you. Thank you all for coming.